Welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and joining me for this episode, I have a very special guest that I'm going to introduce to you in just a couple seconds. But before I do, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on every major podcast platform. We are also a proud member of the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is an excellent website that I recommend you all check out for interesting videocasts and podcasts from around the world that cover very unique topics in a very interesting and entertaining format. So please check out all the fine creators there. The Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android, which captures the latest trending articles from topics that you choose to follow from around the world. For the first time in the history of the web, the entire internet becomes listenable. Newsly will find the latest trending articles, like I said to you, and instead of you sitting there and reading them, Newsly will read them to you in a natural human voice. Stop scrolling, start listening. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of Newsly's premium service. So with all that out of the way, it is time for me to introduce my very special guest for this episode. And joining me is Matt from the Made Up Movies podcast. Matt, welcome to the Cult Film Companion. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about today's movie. Uh, it but, was quite the ride, yeah, and figuratively. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, it's an excellent movie, and we're going to get into it. But before we do... Please tell my audience a little bit about Made Up Movies Podcast, what it's all about, and where they can find you. Sure. Uh, so Made Up Movies is a podcast where uh, me and my best friend, Mike Kolar, we take suggestions from listeners on Twitter and via email. They send in ideas for movies that don't exist, but, you know, might exist, uh, you know, if someone gave them enough money. And uh, they'll come up with a random idea like Dog President. It's a movie where the dog becomes the president. And uh, we uh, improvise a movie review as if we've just seen that movie. So basically people send in uh, ridiculous ideas for movies or sometimes very serious <laughs> ideas for movies. And then we review them like they're real. Fake movies, you know, we review them like they're real is the basic thing of made-up movies. That's uh, awesome. So. 
and where can people send in um well where can people listen to the show and where can people send in suggestions uh you can listen to the show on all the major platforms apple spotify google all the regular places just look up made up movies and uh if you want to send in your own made up movie ideas go to uh at made up movies pod on twitter at made up movies pod and you can also do made up movies pod at gmail.com and just email them that way um, and basically all the suggestions go into a big, uh, uh, document that we have ongoing. We use a random number generator to pick it. So it's fair. Um, and then it's, yeah, it's pure improv. We typically just, you know, there's no script. We just like, we have a bit where we put on our, uh, transdimensional goggles. We watch the movie really fast. And then we, <laughs> uh, we, basically use our amazing improv powers to uh come up with what happens in that movie <laughs> and it might not be what you expect to happen in that movie our brains are kind of strange like that um that's awesome so yeah. i encourage everyone um i'm gonna have all the links for that in the description and uh just just quickly uh for for some of those people out there who may be familiar with the eric andre show just real quick You've been on the Eric Andre show a couple times yes. as um, <clears throat> my uh, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite bands when I was growing up uh, in high school. Three Eleven, you were the three hey. <laughs> the Three Eleven investigator guy. Yeah, right. Yeah, they call me the the truther on the show, but yeah, I I played uh, the investigate Three Eleven guy and Eric Andre. If you look up Investigate 311, if you have no idea what we're talking about, there's a pretty funny YouTube vid that, like, captures all of my bits. Thank you to whoever put that together. Sweet. Uh, but, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, that's just sweet. It, it, not only 311, but another a hip-hop uh, artist that I'm a fan of, uh, Tyler, the creator, as well. Yeah, exactly. Tyler, the creator. What's interesting is that, so basically, if anyone has no idea what we're talking about, Eric Andre is, like, a parody or satire absurdist talk show on Adult Swim. I believe it's coming back uh, soon, if it's not back already, uh, for another season. And Eric Andre is just a super huge uh, comedian actor right now. And so he does, does this show where basically insane and often absurd or disgusting pranks happen to these huge celebrities that come on the show. And so my bit was that I was parodying uh, a guy that came out during an NFL press conference and started just listing all these 9-11 conspiracy theories. He, like, stole the mic and interrupted. And so my bit on the show is I interrupt Eric's opening monologue doing that same bit, and I'm like, investigate 9-11. And then midway through the episode, I come out and I say, now it's time to investigate 3-11. <laughs> and they start playing Amber is the Color of Your Energy, yeah. <laughs> and we all start dancing. Um, and what, what this bit became famous because Tyler the creator had just been pepper sprayed and so he's weeping and he was so game for anything on that show that even though he was like weeping from being pepper sprayed he started dancing along with us <laughs> like what a trooper um, I can't recommend uh, yeah, weird. I recommend people checking out Eric Andre I'm a fan of these parody talk shows especially we're going off on an off topic tangent that happens on these shows all the time I'm a big sure. fan of uh, Between Two Ferns with Zach Califanakis. Oh, I love I love Between Two Ferns right, very much. Right, very much. 
and then the Eric Andre show is like between two. Zach Galifianakis is verbally abusive to his guests on Between Two Friends. Eric Andre will torture in the most hilarious ways. It's it's so good. It's it's kind of like and a lot of people say, well, it's kind of like Tom Green. To me, this is. Oh yeah. It, it does. It, I forgot about Tom Green until just now. I mean, I didn't forget about him as a human existing, but I forgot the format of his show was like, yeah, it did have that, but it's it's almost like the next generation of that kind right. of thing where it's like deeply uncomfortable and unsettling. Yes. <laughs> and, and spoiler alert for the show, uh, Eric Andre destroys his set and every single episode if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so yeah uh, and they just have to like cobble it back together it's so insane like being on that set is a trip it's also deeply uncomfortable and frightening i would imagine <laughs> for those of you that are tuning in to listen to us talk about used cars uh we, we should used probably cars. we should probably get to that um sure so we are talking about one of Acclaimed director Robert Zemeckis's first movie. Now, this movie is called Used Cars. It came about when Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale were working on a script for Steven Spielberg's 1941. And they had this idea about a used car salesman. And so they developed this script and Spielberg liked it. And yes, so we're talking about we're talking about the team that brought you the Back to the Future movies. This is far different though because this is um and up until this is an interesting note, up until the movie Flight starring Denzel Washington uh that came out in the 2000s, this was the only R-rated Robert Zemeckis film at the time. And oh wow. It's an un, to me. This is the kind. This is the um, when I say that uh, my show is the movies that are off, under, and ahead of this uh, the cinematic radar. This to me falls into the category of a movie that gets overshadowed by the rest of the director's catalog. Um, right. Obviously, when you say Robert Zemeckis, people, uh, to me, Back to the Future, like that, that trilogy future, is yeah. is amazing. Um, but you say, well, what about used cars? And people will kind of look at you and they'll give give you like, what? And I go, it's, it's the executive producer is Steven Spielberg. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis and it's starring a very, well, for the, at the time, young Kurt Russell as a fresh faced. Can you believe this is like two years away from the thing? He looks like. 15 years older in the thing and he this is like two years prior to i don't know what but like this movie because like it's like it seems like fresh off of disney kurt russell right Mm. here it's all it's crazy how young and like like he's super young super handsome he's almost like too pretty to be sleazy in a weird way in this movie like i'm just like no that's disney you know that's like Sweetheart, America's sweetheart, Kurt Russell. He can't, right? He can't be a, a trashy car salesman, it, uh, but he is. And I think this is a very. I think I don't know for sure, but I think it's a it was a very conscious effort on Kurt Russell. When we see this a lot now with those those the Disney kids 
trying to do something a little bit more adult. And like you said, right. this is this is prior to him. I I believe any collaboration with John Carpenter, with the exception possibly of the Elvis TV movie. For those of you who don't know, there is a yes. there is a John Carpenter directed Elvis TV movie starring uh, Kurt Russell. But yeah, they they started this this working relationship with Escape from New York and uh, the Thing, and you know they've they've just gone on to to make some incredible movies together but and, and he, this is like i looked on the imdb i think earlier this week uh my cuz i was telling like this movie is so has so many interesting details that i thought would appeal to my co-host mike kolar on on made up movies and i was like telling him about it and we were both looking at the imdb and just trying to figure out and like kurt russell's just like cranking out movies i mean he was already this like he was like in Disney's pocket, right? He Disney was just like making him do a movie a week, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like for a long time, and yeah, this does feel like uh, you made me think of uh, Daniel Radcliffe coming off of Harry Potter, being like, "I'm going to do the weirdest movies I can find to try to prove to you that I'm more than just Harry Potter," kind of thing. It, and this this has that energy because it's like this is the least Disney movie. Uh, I can think of in a lot of ways. Right. It's funny because you kind of look <clears throat> like I I look at the DVD cover and it it, it looks kind of wholesome. This right. mo- I thought it was going to be so I thought it was going to be Disney because it's like it's got a very <laughs> aw shucks yeah kind of like we're selling these used cars. Can you believe it? Like it, it doesn't have the vibe that you're going to see no. a bunch of titties in this movie, but you are going to see a surprising amount of titties. Yeah. <laughs> and and I have to say that this script is the way it's paced. Like you say, it starts off with aw shucks. The opening scene is him, you know, changing the odometer and like, yeah, just, it starts, it, it, this movie is great at building to like, it doesn't shoot its load right at the, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, it starts out kind of like, okay, he's a sleazy car salesman. Like he does this thing with, uh, he baits, uh, um, a buyer with like a fishing pole a and a ten dollar yeah on the on the fishing line, which is a pretty insane. Like this movie takes place in an extremely heightened National Lampoon style reality. That's like the kind of movie yes, that it reminded yes, me yeah. of the most. It's like it's it's takes place in you know pseudo reality, but like it's very much like that. Yeah, but some weird, quirky stuff can happen at any moment. Um, yeah, the the fishing line. Although, like, it almost lost me, and I don't. I apologies if I'm I'm jumping ahead. Okay, well, first of all, like, there are so many crazy car stunts in this movie. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> so many. Like from the beginning, the car is swerving out of the way as this guy tries to catch the dollar bill, and the sequence that I think is is the craziest in the movie that will probably stick with me forever is I think it's important to say that you have this actor who's playing twin brothers and one's Jack, good and one's evil, basically. Jack and they Ward. Have boring, yeah. yeah. And, and they he, have, they have he, boring car dealerships. They do. They're, they're directly across the street from each other. One, one's sleazy and one's wholesome. And um, initially it, it was not cast 
for, it was not written for the same actor to portray the brothers. Uh, Jack right, right. Jack Warden only agreed to do the movie if he could play both brothers, which I think is a stroke of genius because <laughs> he pulls a, he's he's a very underrated actor. I I remember him. I think my first exposure. I think he's in Problem Child, and one of my favorite yes. one of my favorite movies um, from Norm Macdonald and Bob Saget and and Artie Lang. Dirty Work. He's the he's the sleazy yes. father in Dirty Work. But, oh my God! Yes, I mean I Kolar and I uh, again my co-host. He 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 and I. I mean I'm pretty sure Kolar loves Dirty Work. Maybe I'm talking out of school, but I <laughs> love Dirty Work. Yes. From way back in the yeah. day. Jesus, man, that was a hell of a piss. There's so many great moments yeah. in Dirty Work. Uh, that was one of my like teen, and that that honestly, you know, when I was trying to think of other movies that have this tone, Dirty Work is a great one because it's like it's got a certain level of sleaze. But it also has a weirdly wholesome vibe to it too. Right. It's like um, those, like in my head, this is sort of like a Happy Gilmore type universe where it's like, okay, it's you know, quote unquote reality, but everything's like heightened and a little cartoonier right. than than you might expect. But what I think that that this film benefits from is that they're constantly amping this movie up, and they take full. <laughs> Like you said, they take full advantage of the R rating, which really, oh, yeah. um, you've got nudity, you've got you know sex scenes, you've got some some coarse language. Although it, it, it it's not it's not what I would say is a hard R movie. It's I, not. I think that's what's interesting about it is that like by modern standards, like. I was I haven't seen the movie The Goods, but I feel like the movie The Goods is probably like an attempt to try to remake this it's kind not of good. movie. You know, I, I'm I'm just gonna say it, it that that it, the Goods is trying to be used cars and right right. But what The but, Goods does is they rely too much on the R rating to be that's. To be like, too, to 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 go too hard with the coarse language, to be too over the top. Used Cars is a much better scripted movie that yeah they take advantage of the R rating in just it when when they need to. Like there's this scene where the one the one um uh car lot is having like this carnival to try to get attention and the other car lot just breaks out with this. Like, I mean, we're talking, this movie came out in 1980. Yeah. So this movie, although it feels very seventies, it feels more like seventies than it does. I mean, it's on the cusp of the beginning of the eighties. Right. But like, it was, it feels like very informed by seventies stuff. It was written. Uh, It was written in the seventies. It was filmed. Right. Um, just a just a little bit of backstory here. Uh, filmed in twenty nine days in Mesa, Arizona, wow. on a budget of eight million dollars, <laughs> and it was released uh, July eleventh, nineteen eighty. Didn't do too well at the box office. The budget was eight million. Sure. It only brought in about eleven point seven million, but. Uh, th- then again, th- this is the kind of movie that garners a cult reputation because it it fang- it fi- it will eventually find its audience. Um, 
Okay, so you mentioned Mesa, Arizona, right? So like the point there's they bring it up like the will be the best dealership in the Southwest, like at about like I don't know thirty to forty minutes from the end of the movie. But like there's this point where I'm like, where the hell is this taking place? Because like there's this big sequence where <laughs> okay for some reason Lenny and Squiggy are in this movie, pretty much playing Lenny and Squiggy. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, that's that's i mean i i love michael mckeon and i pretty much only know squiggy as squig or wait which one's lenny and which one's squig but it uh from what's the show laverne and shirley they're that's the duo of the like the the dorky sleazy guys and like they're in this movie and like very young and there's a sequence where Michael McKeon just goes to DC to pirate the president's like broadcast. There's so much pirating uh, TV signals in this movie. It's a running theme. And I was just like, how close is their location to DC and the high desert? (laughs) Right. It's kind of insane. Uh, But you know, it all works in its own way. And and not to mention the whole thing. um, I think it's funny. Um, with you know, there is a lot of pirate. They they hijack a couple um, uh, broadcasts to to uh, film film illegal commercials. But I mean, if you, it, it, <clears throat> I've seen this movie so many times that one of the things that I started thinking about upon rewatch was I'm like, well, what about daylight savings in different time zones? And then I know Arizona doesn't adhere to daylight savings times, and so it's just like. But I mean, it, 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 that that's the only thing that comes to me because I've seen this movie multiple multiple I did not times. Not even clock that. Like, yeah, to I me, mean, as soon as because like all you have to remember, almost all of their stolen broadcasts involve some woman either purposely or uh inadvertently getting her clothes ripped off and so she's just there's just so much like toplessness it it like okay the way the movie treats uh stripping and nudity is so funny too because it's like until the crowd is told by the evil car dealer that stripping is immoral like everyone loves it right right they see like men women children people of all ages see strippers and they're like hey let's go take a gander at those titties (laughs) like like, they have no compunction like oh this is filth but it's like only until later when the evil guy is like this is immoral and i'm like is this a commentary on like the way that we're like brainwashed by like uh moralizing figures or is it just the weird morality of this movie where like oh oh, right right staring at ogling women is wrong i just remembered that (laughs) like it's it's a weird it's a weird but also incredibly it's so funny to see like whole families of people being like strippers yay (laughs) like running across the street it just killed me i was like i don't know if that's part of the joke or is just like an inadvertent like yeah of course they'd want to see yeah, you know, it's a party. It's just, I mean, it, we should, you know, we're, we're we're over twenty minutes in, so the, there is a plot to this movie. So we've yes, got yes. Do, we've got two brothers that have uh, competing car lots across the street from each other. One, the 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 sleazy one. They're both the the both the car owners uh, dealerships owners are played by Jack Warden. Uh, the evil one. 
thinks that he has a politician in his back pocket and that he's going right. to have the 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 ex, the the best um site for where the new um freeway is going in turns out that his brother actually is going to have the best site so he knows that through dialogue he says that he can't his brother just will not sell the dealership to him so he concocts this plan to kill his brother um yeah it's insane that sequence is crazy and like that's when the movie almost lost me and i think what makes okay so basically his brother has a weak heart and is constantly popping heart pills and they set this up early on in a sequence where I think Kurt Russell slaps him on the back too hard or gets too excited about his politician career. Yeah, because Kurt Russell also wants to be a politician. Right, right, right. Yes, yes. A lot of this movie. And so uh, the nice brother is like, uh, is like, yeah, maybe I will help support you on your on the money you need to get into uh, politics. Uh, which seems to be a bribe, I guess, later on in the movie. I thought it was some, like, you know, like, just, you know, pay this and you'll be part of the thing. But it felt like just a closed-door deal. But anyway, uh, Kurt Russell's so excited about uh, this deal with his boss that he's, like, jumping around, and the good brother is, like, almost has a heart attack but has to pop a pill. And so you find out, like, okay, he's got this heart condition. Also in that sequence, they've trained a dog to bring tools, which is just adorable. The do- I love that. More dogs need to bring tools. Not and only that. Helpful characters. Uh, and and I'll, I'll let you continue with the um, the sequence. I also want to mention my favorite little scam that they pull to sell cars oh, the involves dog. the dog. And <laughs> It's so mean. And that sequence is great, too. I have that flag because they basically... They, they trick a family into thinking that they hit the dog yes. so that they'll buy the car. Yes. Uh, but th- the, that the family, dog is awesome. I mean, that dog. It's, it's a great animal actor. Fantastic. so good. I don't know if it's multiple dogs or what, but so well trained. Uh, but that sequence has one of the most Spielberg-y, or maybe just as a Zemeckis. I don't know how they influenced each other, but... To me, Spielberg is always finding bits and moments with things in the background to create an interesting frame, and like especially in his comedy type movies. Um, and that sequence when he's initially pitching the car before they pull the dog scam, when he's just setting up like, "Oh, what a sweet dog! Would never hurt a fly!" Like before they make the dog play dead. Um, the kids in the background, the guys, the family that's buying the car, the kids are just jumping on this car, just like ripping it apart, basically, <laughs> yes, like yes. actual child actors, just like hopping on the hood, punching it, just going crazy. And it's such a funny and distracting and hilarious moment that you can just imagine them being like, hey, kids, you know, everything your parents say, don't do to the car, do it to this car. Right, right. <laughs> Um, and that, that, that's an amazing, amazing shot and just amazing detail. That is one of those things that makes the movie so funny. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, again, we're deep into this, this episode, but I cannot, um, recommend this enough as an underrated hidden comedy eighties gem. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so fun, and, like, it's stuck with me. Sometimes you'll see a movie, and you're like, eh, whatever. But there's a lot of this movie, and I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. There's no. some stuff in there where it's like, okay, it's it's racial and sexual politics are very much of the era and are very, like, uh, eh, at times. But the there's so much, like, weird 
like again semi-adjacent to like national lampoon's vacation where i'm like well this movie surely won't make me laugh out loud it's some old movie but it it did at times and like one of these moments that's so insane okay so nice boss has the heart condition right and so evil boss across the street his brother uh is like we're gonna kill <laughs> we're gonna kill him but the manner in which he tries to kill him is so is that he, yeah i love it i love it please it's, go it's, on it's one of the most mean-spirited dark jokes in the movie and it happens about 15 minutes into the movie so at this point i'm like whoa what is this movie like to me if i was a very wholesome person seeing this movie i'd be like this is terrible this is mean-spirited <laughs> like the movie won me back like multiple times after that but i was just like they're making this nice old man. Basically, they have this mean, like, I don't know, insane stunt Mechan- racer. I think mechanic. they call yeah, they call him the mechanic, I think. He takes the nice boss for a joyride, like knocks the pills out of his hand, and he just takes him on a series of insane car stunts and <laughs> that look crazy. He's like driving over berm, driving over medians, flipping the car. Somehow they're okay. But well, I mean the boss is a <laughs> but he sort of is, because like they're basically putting the boss through these insane stunts so he'll have a heart attack. Yep. And then it's followed up by one of the most insane bits of the movie, which should be like the keystone or a microcosm. to like unlocking. It's the Rosetta stone of what this movie is going for, where it's like, they just put this nice old man through the ringer to give him a heart attack. And then they cut inside to a scene where Kurt Russell is like trying to hey, sell this guy a car. And this guy is like, never hurt anyone. $50 never hurt anyone. He just repeats this mantra over and over. uh, Or never killed anyone. Never killed anyone. And then then Uh, Kurt Russell leaves the office. He goes, I'm going to show my boss this, and he's going to have a heart attack. (laughs) He actually says that. And and so the boss comes in after this car ride, frothing at the mouth, actually (laughs) having a heart attack. And the buyer is sitting there being like, okay, I'll pay the $50. (laughs) And it's so stupid, but it's so funny. It's like they did this most mean-spirited joke and this weird $50 never killed anyone over and over. And I'm like, what are they trying to get at? And it's all for this really stupid bit. And there's something about that that I just love. I was just like, Oh wow, they care about the comedy so much they're willing to kill whole characters yeah. just to achieve these bits. <laughs> and, and then and then not, not so this movie has got a, a love story too going on. We we didn't even mention yeah. that. The It's the, not the strongest love story. No. I feel like they're In the beginning, I'm like, again, Kurt Russell is so sweet and so young in this movie. He seems like, I was trying to think of, like, who would be the sleazier choice. Like, I can imagine Chevy Chase playing this car dealer and being a lot sleazier, or, like, Bill Murray or or someone of the era, but, like, sorry, go ahead. Did you you, uh, happen to come across who the studio wanted to be? Oh, no, I would love to hear that. George Hamilton. (laughs) <laughs> okay that's definitely a choice yeah. <laughs> that's a very different movie that's yeah, a very different movie that's um that's a guy that spent way too much time out in the sun in Mesa era <laughs> so yeah, right. <laughs> I would I, you know of all the people you mentioned I, I kind of want to see a Bill Murray used cars right I, yeah it, um, because he is 
he's inherently lovable, can play sleazy in that like Groundhog Day kind of way too, and like and and uh, you know Venkman is kind of like just sleazy to get the girls in in Ghostbusters in the beginning too. So it's like or just maybe unethical is a better way of saying it but like uh i i could see them so it's like it's a little bit like uh it take it took me a while to warm up to kurt russell in this role and i was like he looks like he's 12 years old so it really is shocking that the thing in which he seems so adult is like is so grizzled the, so the, soon the, after yeah the, the, he goes the, from like baby face to grizzled maybe just all the beard i think it's the, the beard work. and the long hair was, was yeah. really makes it work um you're right but there is a love story and i feel like that actress has like maybe the hardest role in the movie in that she's not it's kind of a put upon role because she she's the daughter the estranged daughter of the good boss who's coming in she's like the rightful owner of the dealership yeah and so there's again this is tied into a scam they're running where they they in order to make sure that the dealership does not default to the evil brother they have to pretend that the the boss who died of a heart attack is still alive and so they hide his corpse in, in a, a pile of mud in a car yes like on their lot and then say he went to miami it's like and they tape his eyes open or something it's like so like the only reason this works is because it's the same actor playing both roles yeah because otherwise yeah, yeah. you would just feel so bad for that old man but because he's also playing the evil guy you're like ah he's fine yeah just you're just, don't worry about it yeah no, no, no! You make a great point. I think that she has a, because she does. She comes in in like the second third of the movie. Like she's yeah, she she's, comes in so late. She comes in for the female lead of the movie. Yeah, like you'd expect her to be there like immediate. And I think like it might have been more fun to have like a Kirstie Alley like slightly more oppositional or either of the cheers actresses really being a little bit more apprehensive and then slowly won over she from like the first moment she meets kurt russell she's like wow i i'd kind of love to be in love with you like she's like always in love with him it seemed like from moment one his charm works on her almost immediately it's only later when she realizes the whole scam that she's like slightly miffed but then when he helps her out with a different scam she's like oh you Right, it, 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 it's tough because, like you said, she she comes in relatively late to the movie, but they do they do have some really good scenes together. Um, uh, like their date bar and yeah, their the date restaurant. Yeah, their date scenes are. It, it, it I think it works because Kurt Russell is very very charming. Um, and like oh, you yeah. said, we're talking baby face Kurt Russell. We're talking a young, not to say that he hasn't, I mean, the, the years have been He's kind. Handsome now. I He's was going to say. a good looking guy. Yeah. He looks like fresh from the womb in this movie. Yeah. Like, I can't say, it looks like you are watching uh, a senior in high school compared to, he looks like. <laughs> Two years later in the thing, he looks like he's thirty-five, and this he looks like seventeen. I was gonna say it's he, crazy he, how young. he almost looks too young for the role at times. I, that's what I thought. That yeah. It took me a long time to warm up to it because I was like, well, it wasn't. It wasn't just that he's young. It's just that like his voice sounds young. His face. He looks too uh, nice to, to have these, and he plays it really well. I thought his acting was great as usual, but like. 
he almost it almost felt like um a proto marty mcfly character in some ways like a more sleazy marty mcfly because he's like he's like this young fresh-faced like lovable guy it's just I get I, I don't think George Hamilton's the right choice. No, but like you want somewhere a split the difference, and like that's why I say like uh, Chevy Chase or Bill Murray, who is like they can they can be they can be both charming and smarmy. You know well, what I mean? Well, Whereas I'm, like even when Kurt Russell is being an asshole, I'm like yeah, he's still pretty charming. Uh, l- l- <laughs> like, just put the cards on the, t- the. His character is written to I'm guessing to be in his late twenties, early. 30s just given the fact that he's been there so long but I mean he just doesn't look like he's been he doesn't look like someone that's spent a decade on this used car lot he just doesn't he has he would have had to start when he was like literally like 12 or 13 which I can also like maybe that's the character (laughs) maybe like he's been working there since he's been a kid you walked up on the lot and like inadvertently sells a car and gets you know it's like a gimmick or something like i could see that that's not in the movie but like there's 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 a ways to make it work but yeah as written the script is like this is for like a like a 29 to 35 year old Mm. man and he definitely looks 17 i (laughs) it's it's weird (laughs) you just brought that up i kind of wish there was like this introductory scene of of jack warden like meeting the young um, Kurt Russell character, just I like mean a, too, because it takes a quick... you a while to like him, or at least it took me a while to like him too. Because I'm like, oh, he's a sleazebag who wants to be a sleazebag. He wants to be a politician. So it was like, it's like, what do I? What should I like about this dude? And the thing that you end up liking about him is that it's Kurt Russell. Yeah, <laughs> like they don't give you a lot of shit. Like it really is an actor's role where it's like, if you give this to the wrong guy. You know, he's oh, just it, the worst person it, it, ever. This this uh, uh, this this movie from all the the minor like you said, Michael McKeon's in it. Um, we got uh, Garrett Graham um, who plays. I want to say his best friend, who's who, who has this running gag Obsessed with luck, um, and very superstitious. Um, there's yes. there's an ongoing thing um, about red cars and that comes. That's in. the weirdest part, I think, to me. Like everything, like I, I that was one of those other things, like that's unstuck in time. That sort of felt like an older generation thing. It's like, oh, he's got the good luck charms. It's like he cares about luck as a concept and superstition more than like any modern person ever could. I feel like, and he, the, but it does build to that amazing one of the most amazing sequences in any movie where it's like Kurt Russell has bet his fortune or like his remaining money uh, on one football team about to win. And his friend, his superstitious friend has bet it on the other team. He's like, so the only way that you can win is if I lose. And so the superstitious friend as to show his good friendship or is it like a sign of faith that his friend starts giving himself bad luck by doing a bunch of bad luck things? He throws out all his charms. He's like breaking mirrors, throwing salt everywhere. It's Opening. the most insane. He's... And it like literally seems to affect the outcome yes. of the game. He goes around. Uh, he's op- like he goes from table to table, opening umbrellas, spilling salt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The umbrellas indoors, and like trying to find a ladder to crawl under. And yes, stuff. it's 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 such a funny sequence because like again, that guy has been has been painted 
pretty sleazy too and it just it's like wow he's really a good friend and also it's like wow so luck magic really works in this movie like <laughs> and but yeah the weird the weird thing about it is that he's like a red car is always bring bad luck and he uh the female lead uh the daughter of the nice boss all comes in driving a red car and so he figures she's bad luck but but there's also a sequence later where he finds out that he's driving a red, uh, a repainted red car, which is like a big plot point, a big obstacle they have to overcome. And when uh, they're listening on the radio and they hear this information, they're like, it's a red car. And even the female leads like, oh, no, red cars are bad luck. And I was like, what? How do you know this information? <laughs> like, right. Are this stuff about red cars? So like she reacts as if it's like, oh, wouldn't you know it? And it's like, what? Have they relayed this to you? <laughs> are you that much in the mix? It was such a funny little character beat. I was like, okay, whatever. Red cars in this universe, bad luck. But it's like, she drives one. What? Oh, well, whatever. So uh, <laughs> so this movie, the first hour is a very, it, it's it's very much a, a, a goofy comedy. Now, what yeah, happens yeah. is she finds out that her father's really dead and yeah. she gets all upset. She fires everyone. And then right, she's right. filming a commercial. And the evil car owner um, cuts up the commercial to make it seem that she says that she has a mile of cars. And then, right. like, like their attorney is like, well, that's blatant false advertising. So they bring her to court. Kurt Russell has secured his um, his politician spot, but then hears about the court case and goes and, and saves her from the court case. And then this movie just was like, well, it seems like this is a small budget movie, but uh, it seems that like 90% of the budget was secured for this epic, <laughs> epic finale, which needs to be seen to be believed because I remember the first time yes. watching it I had no idea we're talking I think it's 50 cars that they need to get to the car lot and yeah they had this it's, on, it's insane they had this ongoing thing where Kurt Russell's selling like cheap cars to the the local high school for uh for driver's ed oh, right, right so right. they recruit all the driver's ed people so we're talking this epic and we're we're not talking fast and furious where half the cars are cgi or anything like that we're talking like no. actual actual cars driving across the desert to make it to this car lot in this yeah, they have to prove that they actually have a mile of cars or else she's going to jail and they set the judge up as a person who will hang people. The judge has like guillotines and nooses as toys on his desk or his uh his bench. So like she's in deep shit if she doesn't if they don't prove that they have this mile of cars. And so yeah, they go to I guess to Mexico and they they meet this like really super stereotypical like <laughs> not very progressive portrayal of like this like sleazy Mexican guy who like sells them every junker on the lot and they get every student driver, right? To yeah. Drive yeah. Them. And and so there's this huge like yeah, 50 car convoy across the desert and it goes from road driving to desert driving and there're actually some incredible there's like this one incredibly beautiful shot where it's like 
the movie almost goes up like a letter grade in quality because of this one incredible shot. It's like uh, they're 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 like sending up uh, the best friend, the superstitious guy, as their like pace car, I guess, to set to go up ahead and make sure the road is clear. Right, and he zooms ahead as the sun is setting, and and uh, Kurt Russell and his lady love are like on the back of this truck and they're just like watching as he zooms by and it's like almost out of star wars watching a speeder bike go by because as the sun sets it's so beautiful and it's like you can feel in that moment it's like wow i thought we were making this goofy trashy comedy but it almost like we made a better movie than we thought we would in this like one shot it's so and it's like in that moment in that great moment of framing it's almost like the it feels like zemeckis is like becoming in a little bit yeah yeah he's like becoming the version of himself that will make all these great movies that we love and it's like oh wow this isn't just a you know a weird movie in his repertoire this is like his coming of age story and maybe kurt russell's coming of age story too because he's he again he's like a kid but kurt russell seems to be doing all these car stunts himself he's like jumping on hoods yeah climbing cars he's there's a sequence where he's on a car and he slips and he steadies himself and in my head in modern mind i'm like oh well it's like you know it's cg and i'm like wait this is 1980 there's nothing there's no wires no they're in the desert he almost died just there that's his tom cruise moment and it's like it's insane this is jumping from car to car, <laughs> flipping cars, all this crazy shit. And they're doing it practically because how else could they do it right. in this movie? It's, um, I kind of, uh, the way that I would sum up this, this sequence is, uh, imagine if Robert Zemeckis shot like part of a Mad Max movie. Like that's, we're, we're in the desert. There's actually a battle between the evil dr- car dealer. He's got like yeah. a chain in the back of a pickup truck, and he's fighting Kurt Russell. And like you said, right. Kurt Russell's yeah. jumping from car to car to car, and uh, like we can't reiterate this enough. We're talking 1980. We're not talking something. Where these stunts were all done for real, and it looked well, like I the thought way- they would put like a, a stunt actor in some of these moves, like where he jumps car to car and almost slips on the hood, but he looks up. You see his face, and I doubt they're like digging in a different face like they did in Jurassic Park in 1990s. I, I mean, like, it's crazy to think he's just like, sure, I'm a young guy. I'll hop around in cars. Like, not understanding maybe what they wanted him to do. Like, it's 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 legit impressive and so crazy. And all honestly harkens back to like um like uh uh the driver and those like Ryan O'Neill like seventies car movies. Bullet. Like it, yeah, 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 exactly. And it really does. It feels like. Because the, the sequence also, we're, we're describing it as this beautiful, amazing action sequence, but it also keeps cutting inside the cars to the goofy student driving yes. being like, am I turning the wheel okay? Yes. So it's like Mad Max versus Vacation going head to head. That's like what this, it's like National Lampoon's Mad Max. Um, uh, yeah. It's so funny and so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And there's that sequence where the one the one te- the group of teens get pulled over. They're like, we have to wait for the cops to yes. arrive. And then the cops like flip and do like a flip and they're like, Well, they're here. Yeah. <laughs> so they just keep driving. Like it's 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 madness. It's it's really madness. And then and of course 
it culminates to them actually the judge coming to the lot and it's not just like well they seem to have a mile of cars they proved you wrong they're literally measuring yes. cars with oh and measuring tape oh by the way the the judge is played by the original grandpa munster Oh my God, that's who it is. Oh, you're so right. You're so right, Grandpa Monster. And, and Grandpa Monster is very nice, whereas the judge is very, very mean. Yeah, he's, he walks into the courtroom. He's like, two o'clock, whose idea was this? And the, yeah, the right. guy looks at him and he's like, it was yours, sir. He goes, all right, let's get this over. <laughs> but yeah, and, Oh, of course. There's uh, the uh, the best friend, the superstitious best friend, realizes he's driving a repainted fire uh, a f- fire department car. Yeah, so, so it was f- red. So he pulls over. He's like, I'm not going to be able to get there. And they need every car to make it a mile. And so he has to, like, jump a train. <laughs> Literally jump a train. They're, they're like, he's on the wrong side of the tracks. He's never going to make it. We're talking. Yeah, like, how do they have this information? They just, it's, but, it's like, whatever. Who cares? And again, but you're they, just like, this movie just keeps pulling out things you're like there's no way like this car yeah. jumps a tr- a run this train is going through the desert there's this uh tow truck that has this one car that it's towing he gets the he he gets it so oh, he, yeah. he he films he unhooks the car so it rolls off and then he uses the tow thing as a ramp of course this would never work and i just really wish i could see behind the scenes footage of the car shooting rig to see how they do it because i know they have those things that like shoot yeah. hydraulics or whatever over the thing i really really wish we could see it going over the train from beginning to end but it looks really cool it like, does that's just a thing it's it's something Kolar and i talk about a lot but like practical effects when you can do them yeah they're dangerous yeah they're risky but they're so visceral and mm. so much of this this third act of this movie it like takes what seems like a goofy comedy and just takes it to the next level it just makes it a so much better movie it's like oh we just got an upgrade i did not expect right the first two acts you don't you don't know where this is really going like you feel like it's building to something but you're like what and like you said yeah no way would we have ever anticipated it's this insane desert chase like, like you would think like it, it would probably be like a montage of them like finding these cars and setting them up and like but like, like a sales competition yeah, something lot or something like that so like dance off or strippers or something like i don't know like not not an actual honest to god like car chase through the de- yeah. yeah just like a real legit like one of the best car sequences in a movie that I can think of, like including the Fast and the Furious. Like if you like cars and cars and movies, and especially this style of like seventies uh, car flicks, this is for you. Like you're gonna be like, okay, I don't know what these guys are talking about, and then you get to the sequence, you're like, oh, I get it. Well, that's, I so get it. I mean, that's the thing. Like I was like the first uh, this this came up. I, I I first got this this DVD to for, to cover on the show because it was um it had a cult following, and um like I was on board for the first two thirds, but I was like, yeah, I don't I I, I don't. I was like, I don't really get like why this has such a cool then this finale and i'm just like okay like i get it now they they go for broke and like you said i'm a sucker for practical effects real car like stunt driving and all that kind of stuff 
I'm so sick of the Fast and the Furious things where we're driving cars through freaking buildings and they're swinging on vines, like cars swinging right, on vines. Right. This is honest to God, like we're looking at real stunt drivers driving these cars and it's shot beautifully, like um, so well. It looks so like it's none of the like shaky cam throwing the camera around every hit. It's like, no, you're getting the perfect clean look at every single situation. Like uh, (laughs) it's it's really uh, a satisfying sequence and it makes you feel like instead of like like the first two thirds of this movie are fun and goofy and have some funny gags but it does sort of feel like oh this is a sunday afternoon movie that you might see on tv and you wouldn't need to see in theaters but the last third of this movie is a movie theater movie it's yeah. like you want to see this on a big screen you want to see these cars hitting these jumps and stuff and and like for as much goofy stuff is still happening it's like yeah yeah it does it feels like everybody leveled up in that moment it's like this is their origin story they're like we're going to do this crazy thing and I don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to make it work. And they nailed it. Yeah. It's like, the, kudos to them. The way that it's shot, there's there's you know, big wide shots of all the cars going through the desert. There's there's close-ups when there's need to be close-ups. There's insert shots to add some comedic relief with some of the drivers. It's, right. it's, it's very... It, you can see, and especially in this sequence, I can feel the Spielberg influence. Yes. Um, yes. Because it's very massive. It's like you said, the first two thirds are very kind of like, yeah, I, I, I'll i throw this on at home. The last third of this movie you want to see on a big screen because it's it looks yeah. it's it just looks big. It's got this big feel to it. And to know that these are all real cars, these are all real drivers just adds to that visceral feeling. You know, you feel like. I don't know. It just gets you more, much more. It, 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 it you feel much feels more invested. It feels yes. like you're like watching the rest of the movie from afar. Like, aha, uh-huh, okay, this is goofy. But in that, you're like, you're there. You're right. And I think like because the thrill and the danger is really there because it's not just Kurt Russell driving a car. I don't think he's driving at any point during the sequence. No, he's riding on the back in like the flatbed with the lady. Uh, he's the the daughter, and he's. And, and so is the evil boss in, in a competing flatbed with the train. And he's like hopping from car to car to like get like he's he's on top of cars this entire time. He's in the most he's never strapped in. Nah. He's like in the least safe position. And it's there's something crazy about about that. It's just like, oh, my God, I can't like. I'm watching this movie in present day being like, gosh, I hope he's okay. Of course, I know he's okay. So <laughs> I've seen him in, in Guardians of the Galaxy and such, but like, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. So it's, it's legit crazy. To your point, I'm not sure how much of it is actual Kurt Russell, but I would warrant a guess that a lot of the stunts he did himself, because I've listened to um, uh, several interviews and commentaries with him. Um, it's more so I I listened to part of the commentary for this but I've listened to the full commentaries um, any John Carpenter movie that he does with Kurt Russell Kurt Russell does the commentary with and um, oh, cool. a, a couple episodes previous I had just done uh, Big Trouble in Little China 
and oh, cool. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they were talking about stunt work, and Kurt Russell said that he likes to do as much of it as possible, and he was able to pinpoint the <laughs> the exact movie that where he stopped doing so many stunts, and the movie is the late '90s action movie Soldier. Um, oh yeah. He he really he got really banged up in that movie, and since then That's he's true. he's relied more on stunt right. So we're talking late nineties. So I'm thinking early eighties. Kurt Russell trying to put his Disney past behind him, trying to show that he's he's got the chops to do you know something R rated. <laughs> um, I I my head for this is that the the first half of this movie, like if it was shot in sequence, like. Then he's like young and like I'm, I'm invincible. I'm young. I'm a Disney star. Like I can do whatever I want. I'm gonna, you know. Now I'm gonna come uh, the lead of sexy movies too. And then like this final sequence is like all him really jumping on cars, and it puts the fear of God in him. And that's where like the thing comes from. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm a man now. I'm gonna grow this beard. He couldn't grow beards before he did this car sequence, but then afterward, he, he could only grow beards because it just it made him a man. And we would we would be remiss to to not mention that one of the stunts they pull with the strippers features some some straight up Saturday Night Fever style dancing by Kurt Russell on top of oh, a car yeah. with with a showgirl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so great. I mean, I'm a sucker for any time anyone dances in a movie, uh, and yeah, there's some great moments. I mean. Yeah, so many stolen broadcasts. I'm just trying to think of, like, anything we missed. Like, there's an insane moment between the Lenny and Squiggy guys where uh, he's like, I even built my friend's pacemaker. And he opens his shirt, and there's, like, this gross, like, jury-rigged pacemaker. <laughs> I, I, there's so many, like, this is, uh, and, and another, another sign of a good cult movie is, uh, yeah, I, I, after watching this for the first time, I've shown this. Um, <laughs> shown this. I, I'll, I'll share this, and I hope he doesn't mind. My co-host, we were we. Um, I I don't partake in in, in smoking um, uh, marijuana, but he he sure, does, sure. and um, we were. I forget what movie we were doing, but he likes to smoke up before we watch a movie. Sure, and sure. We he got real. It was, um, he smoked up, plus he was drinking this THC-laced <laughs> lemonade, oh and he God. got wicked high. He's going to be on another planet. Um, and we were watching a movie, and he's, we, he, we got, like, halfway through, he's like, dude, I cannot watch this movie, like, this movie is fucking with my head. He's just like, can we just watch something, um, just something fun, something light, and I put on used cars for him, yeah. and he had a fucking blast with it, because we, we were, sometimes we cover some pretty serious movies, and he was way too high, sure. we were covering something, and there, there's some disturbing material, and he was just right. like, I just need something light, fun. This went from bad trip to good trip. Yeah, 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 like, and I can only imagine... I, I, as someone that is previously, you know, partaking, yeah. uh, getting high, like I, I could. This is a fun. Like if you're you're really high, like the, I can see this being a really. <laughs> this, funny. this is almost the perfect stoner movie in a lot of ways because, like, when you're when you're baked, you're kind of like 
is this really happening? Am I seeing this? Or is, is, is like the weed making me see it in a different way? And that's kind of like the experience of this movie is you're like, wait, was that, are they really going there? Are they actually doing this? Yeah. Is that, and you're like constantly questioning what's happening in the movie, but in the end it's all in good fun. And... Yeah. And it's got a happy ending and like, no, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, other than the, other than the brother dying in a, nobody else gets yeah. like really hurt or anything. But like you said, this movie, like, and that's what the, it's a good comedy because they don't rely on the same kind of jokes over and over again. Yeah, like you're the just red like, car thing is one of the few recurring things, but it's more of a plot point than a gag. It's yeah. It's more to set up certain other sequences. Yeah, the, and and I, you're right. I think, like, if you tried to make this movie today, what it would become is like, oh, and it's an R-rated movie. We need to do as much gross stuff as possible. Like someone needs to like, uh, you know, step in some bodily fluids and stuff like that. I guess I guess a dog does pee on someone's head in this movie, but, but that's funny. Uh, that's that's more wholesome. But like, you would it, get you would get the goods. That movie yeah. I have seen that movie, and unfortunately, like I like a lot of the people involved in the movie, it's just, it's a weak script, it's too much potty humor, it's too much gross-out humor, and don't get me wrong, I like that kind of stuff in small... Kind of sort of it. you have to have a balance of it. Like, yeah, like, uh, like I said, the grossest thing in used cars is, like, there's the, the one gag where the, the dog pees on someone's head, but, like, you're yeah, like... Right. Okay, but it's, like, in the goods, it would be, like, a, some like some but one person peeing on another person and like it would go on for or like way someone has to eat the dog shit and yeah it's chocolate and then they'd be like mm, i like shit yum yum kind of nutty you know yeah. like i guess that's from austin bowers but <laughs> but even there that's like pushing it like i i yeah i think like the humor i think like the amount the the humor is really broad yeah. And there's a lot of, like, nudity, and there's some, I would say, some, like, not good stereotypes, especially with the Mexican guy. And, but, like, the, uh, most of the humor is not cheap. It's like, they go, they go, like, to earn that $50 never killed anyone joke. They do so much yeah. setup just for that payoff it's like they're really working so hard to set up like the red car thing the like the for the superstition thing they set up so hard and you're like why does this even matter earlier in the movie and then for this extended like luck destructive sequence like they are setting stuff up so meticulously just to do these incredibly stupid bits and it's almost like a weird like a uh, mousetrap game or rube goldberg device right. of comedy and it's like oh okay that's Sure, why not? Like, it, I don't know, it's it's satisfying in a way it's, that a lot of the modern movies would just feel random and gross. Well, I also I also reason. think that the reason that this movie, this movie's from 1980, but the humor doesn't rely on pop culture stuff or dated references. The closest That's we, true, yeah. the closest we get is they're hacking into President Carter's address, and the, right, the reason it does in a historic way, just because it's like, oh, we'd never see shit like this. No, in any movies that I can think, and of. it's it wouldn't. It's not dated because the way that it's set up is 
you don't see the president's address until the very end. They hack in, they right. do their commercial, and the commercial ends with something like, do you hear me? And then it <laughs> yeah. cuts to President Carter, and he goes, I have heard you loud and clear. <laughs> and that's it. You don't yeah. need to you don't need to know anything about Jimmy Carter to get the joke because like the way that it's scripted and the way that it's filmed and edited it like that's the joke and that's it's that timeless like you said I think National Lampoon that timeless humor that doesn't rely on you knowing this reference and that's like the, that's a problem I have with a lot of spoof movies and a lot of parody movies is like you need to have seen oh, yeah. all this other stuff. This movie you could you could be an alien <laughs> and get a kick out of the movie. Like you don't need to know. You have to know like the bare bones stereotypes that like politicians are sleazy and that used car salesmen are sleazy, and then it's just like go because like everything else is self explanatory pretty much. And that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that once you're a teenager, like it's kind of been instilled in you. Like politicians are sleazy. Right. These basic cultural stereotypes yeah. that are like maybe there's some truth to them maybe there's some falsehood to them but you've all heard them they're like the old cliches it's yeah like i don't know it's it's stuff it's like old jokes it's like jokes that grandparents and uncles would tell you know it's like this it, it sort of exists in that kind of this is this is like the kind of movie that your drunk uncle would watch very yeah. happily <laughs> and, and this is the kind of comedy that i would recommend to my parents whereas i wouldn't recommend <laughs> the goods to my parents because they'd be oh, like oh yeah i see what you're saying yes um, exactly i would be like i would feel very like i would actually feel comfortable i i i would i, I kind of want to say because this was pre pg13 I could see this movie sliding by with a PG thirteen. I uh, maybe yeah, some of the in terms new of like uh, they say. I think they say fuck a few times in it, and there's a lot of toplessness, right? But right. I don't. I mean, like, I feel like there's an easy PG thirteen cut of this movie, right? Too, if right. You yeah. Just like hold on these shots a little bit less, but like, yeah, it basically does feel like. Uh, a 90s body PG-13 movie in a lot of ways. It just has so many... Like, I think what's interesting is that, like, it doesn't have a lot of cultural references that people wouldn't understand that are, right. like, then topical, now dated. But it does feel very much of a time that no longer exists. And I think that's also a reason that it's interesting now as, as, a, as a cult film is that it's kind of a time capsule of the transition from 70s car movie into 80s goofball screwball weird right. you know sex comedy kind of thing and it it exists in this and it's also it, that's what it feels like it feels like in spite of all of this silly stupid stuff in the movie it feels like you're watching these transitions from 70s into 80s of these two styles of movies in a, in a strange marriage that ends up working as it becomes a car movie in the end and the transition of Kurt Russell from young man into adult man and the transition from uh of zemeckis from like uh you know up and comer to serious filmmaker right way through like there's a lot of stuff that happens and it's almost like you don't get a lot of those because movies today are so polished and so like sanded down and cgi'd any little errors it feels like this movie is almost like 
watching someone's uh it feels like a home video in a, in a weird way not in how it's shot necessarily but like you feel like you're seeing a a, a historical artifact of all of these transitions happening and it's like if you're a film snob or anyone who loves film you love that stuff right and it's almost like you're seeing behind the scenes the origin story of all these things you love in this movie play out in real time and it's it's just like you know if you're talking to someone that's a big fan of Robert Zemeckis and I know he's uh he's going to be being talked about a lot soon because his version of Pinocchio is coming out soon but if you're talking oh my god it, I forgot about that that's yeah. scaring the shit out of me um, I have that trailer flagged as something to react to but I haven't <laughs> sat down and watched it and Pinocchio has seen a lot of a bizarre uh <laughs> versions Z- over the years Zemeckis <laughs> Zemeckis to me overall I like but I don't like like the Polar Express movie I love all three of the Back to the Future movies uh, I just right. I just love Same. them Forrest Gump I love um yeah I like Forrest Gump a lot Castaway was great what li- like oh, a, yeah. a little movie What Lies Beneath is really great so if you're talking oh I remember that one yeah yeah so if you're kind of like talking uh, in flight, which uh, is the only other R-rated movie that he's done with Denzel Washington, is incredible. Uh, it's it, so it's interesting to me. Like I, 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 I'm a film, I'm a cinephile, I'm a film kind of geek. You've clearly so, seen a ton of stuff, especially for this show, but obviously, you know, beyond that. Yeah. So when I heard that Robert Zemeckis did this R-rated Steven Spielberg produced used car movie, I was like, "Hell, I'll give it a shot." And like, I, I, I it's it's something now that I, I that I recommend to people, and I'm so glad. Um, we'll start wrapping things up. We've talked well over an hour about this movie, um, yeah. but I'm I just I and I'm glad that like when I rec- when I invite guests onto the show, I was telling you my biggest fear is that I'll recommend a movie. To someone and they'll be like, I I just did not. <laughs> just, they're like, I, it's only happened once. I I asked somebody to do a black exploitation movie with me, and he's like, dude, he's like, dude, I love you, I love your show, but he's like, next time, please, can we do a better movie? Uh, and that movie is TNT Jackson. That's available in our in our archives. Um, uh, but um, so I'm glad that you got a kick out of used cars. So. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not it's not going to be my favorite movie of all time, but it is peppered with these moments that hit you and are, if you're anything like me, are going to stay with you. Because, like, especially uh, almost all the car sequences, I feel like, are going to stay with me in this movie because the, you know, the insanity of the let's give this guy a heart attack sequence, which is just so visceral and scary... And then just the majesty of these desert driving sequences uh, as the sun sets and stuff like it's it's I don't know. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and, you know, I didn't really put it together till now, but like how much car stuff feels like second nature to Zemeckis in Back to the Future with the DeLorean. Like it's like, yeah, of course it, it creates it's like there's never any question that. DeLorean is such a cool vehicle in this right, movie, yeah. right? Even though it wasn't a cool vehicle in reality for many people. But, like, the effortless nature of what makes it cool, I mean, you gotta think there's some DNA shared between these movies. All the practice with cars you got and used cars. Right. So, um, 
any final thoughts on this movie? I would say I would say see it, watch it, and uh, if you can, you know, you're gonna have to hold your nose maybe at a little, a few of like the dated stereotypes and stuff like that. But like the in general, there stick with it, especially to that third act. Yeah. There's stuff in this that's going to surprise you, especially and, the way it's filmed. It's and, shot so well. Right. And and like the date and that's the thing though, like the dated stereotype things that haven't it, the 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 elements that have aged poorly in this movie are only peppered throughout. So like you're not yeah, they, they you're, aren't constant. You don't have to spend no. that much time with them, which is a godsend right. in its own way. It's like they're like throwaway gags almost. Uh, whereas the uh, the stuff that works is more consistent, so right. it's, overall it's a very successful movie, uh, in spite of some you know well a few potholes along this road. I guess. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Um, My pleasure. And uh, please just uh, tell us again uh, about your show, where we can find you, and we'll 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 start wrapping this up. Sure, I'm Matt Shore. Uh, you can find me on a Made Up Movies podcast where we take fake movies and review them like they're real. Um, Made Up Movies is on Apple, Spotify, all those places. You can also look up Matt Shore, the actor, on YouTube if you ever want to see me stream video games or anything like that. I'm a big-time gamer as well as a cinephile and actor and writer and all that stuff. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I did not expect to like this movie as much as I did. And I I found myself like antsy to talk about it throughout the week. I'm like, I don't oh. want to miss out. I don't want to forget any of this stuff because, you know, it's like uh, there's so much to But we, we hit all of it. So don't worry about that. But it's yeah, it was just like it was a lot more interesting. And engaging. you sometimes see these old comedies and you're like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you sort of like forget about them. This movie <laughs> is like oddly so weird that it's like unforgettable but it's also not so weird that it's gross out or or unappealing so that's it's a rare movie in a lot of ways which which is why that like i think it was perfect it's perfect for the kind of movies that i like to showcase on my show um because it's yeah it's not is is it the best movie no is it is it worth your time absolutely but does it get fun to talk about oh yeah 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 and but it, it, but it, like I said, it falls into one of those things. It kind of, it gets overshadowed because when you think Robert Zemeckis, you think Steven Spielberg. Ninety nine percent of the population, the first thing that springs into their mind is not going to be used cars. Sorry, right. Russell. No chance. I mean, there's something insane about seeing the word Steven Spielberg on the beginning of the like that makes you sit up straight and be like, okay, right, what's happening here? And How did this? What? And you're like Robert Zemeckis back to this. So this is pre Back to the Future. Okay, and I think I think one that hit me was Bob Gale because I was like, wait a minute. That's the team, and I like immediately Googled it. And I'm like, this is the Back to the Future team, right? This is them, and it's like, wait, wait, what? And you know, it's like Back to the Future went through all those transitions. Like I heard there originally that Marty and Doc were going to be like more like stoner smoking buddies, and that feels like more used carsy, yeah. Me. But yeah, then yeah. Back to the Future became more family friendly, and they changed who was the lead guy, and like, there's so much interesting stuff there, and it's like. I really want to hear Zemeckis talk about the relationship between these two movies because I feel like it would be very interesting. Well, like what he learned and what he brought. 
I picked up the DVD for ten dollars from Amazon. I recommend <laughs> it's great, and it does. It's got an audio commentary by Robert oh, Zemeckis, wow. Kurt Russell, and Bob Gale, and it's wow. one. It's one of those commentaries where, and I hate when commentaries do this because I I listen to a lot for the show. Where it's three people, but they're they're they recorded them separately, so they're interspliced. Oh, this no 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 no. This DVD is the three of them sitting in the room, the screening room together, talking. So it's it. Oh, wonderful! So um, yeah, a great ten dollar investment from Amazon. I I recommend <laughs> it. So uh, Matt, once again, thank you so much. I hope I can have you on the show again at some point. Sure, that'd be a lot of fun. This is a good time. I definitely, like, you got any more used cars in there? I'm, <laughs> I'm interested. I'm a buyer. I'm a buyer. No uh, red cars, though. No red cars. No red cars. <laughs> so, uh, once again, uh, check out Made Up Movies Podcast. Thank you again for all my uh, uh, my audience and my fans listening to another episode of the Cult Film Companion. And for the CFC, this is Chris signing out. <laughs>